Welcome to Twin Peaks The Return, a season three podcast. I'm Andy Hazel. And I'm Hayley Inch. And even though I imagine most of you will have seen at least part one of the four parts that have been released on various streaming networks around the world, we're going to focus our attention today on part one exclusively. Yes, we, we didn't want to start, you know just massively talking about things that not everyone may have had the chance to get around to. So we're going to take the slow and steady route and focus on one part for each episode and we'll have extra bits and bobs as well to throw in. Uh, we don't have any guests this week. You're but stuck with me and Andy. We have a very, very, very <laughs> exclusive interview with Cheryl and Fenn that will be coming up at the end of the podcast. I spoke to her a few weeks ago. She shed some light on the experience of being in the production, although this was still while she was under a non-disclosure agreement, so she talks around some things, but still it's uh, definitely worth paying attention to. And there is a great part where she speaks about her enthusiasm for French onion soup that I would highly recommend to any Twin Peaks completist. But back to part one. And gosh, we've got so much to go through. So I was going to try and keep this a pithy half hour podcast, but... um, It's not going to happen, Andy. Let's bear with us. No, no. Okay. (laughs) So um, in 2 p.m., Australian time yesterday, it uh, all four parts wound up um, in people's living rooms and around the world at various cinematic um, events but as well, but mainly in people's living rooms. So it was a similar experience to those who may remember 1990, sitting down in front of a big screen with people sometimes and watching it. The IMDB description of part one is, A man observes a mysterious glass box, South Dakota police discover a hideous crime, and Hawk receives a cryptic message about Special Agent Dale Cooper. That's much longer than the stand description, which is the streaming service you can watch in Australia, which was literally just... My log has a message for you. Yes. And I'm into that. Very enigmatic. We're not going to tell you anything. Just dive straight into it. Well, the first few parts seem to be exclusively um, using Log Lady quotes as per the Log Lady introductions that David Lynch recorded for the second uh, release of Twin Peaks during the 1990s on Bravo, I believe. So in a way, it's a kind of a nice nod to Margaret Lanterman. We uh, begin with the opening clouds, trees, Laura's face, Laura's theme starts playing. We get some aerial shots of Twin Peaks. So we're looking at what the, at familiar locations from a new angle. There's two streams of water falling over. So there's another, some further symbolism there. Billowing red drapes, chevron pattern, swooping camera. So did you, you messaged me at one point during the day, <laughs> basically letting me know that you'd become very emotional watching this. And I kind of thought to myself, because I watched it a few hours after Andy once I'd finished work, and I sat down to watch it, to switch it on. I felt strangely trepidatious and maybe a little bit scared, which was quite an overwhelming feeling for a television show that I only started watching a couple of months ago. Uh, (laughs) And as soon as the, as soon as the introduction started happening, it was like getting, it was like getting sucked in to somewhere again. And you weren't, you weren't where you thought you were and getting sucked in and being introduced back to a world that felt so familiar but also felt like a mirror image and as soon as it zeroed in on Laura Palmer's face and the Twin Peaks title came up and that theme got in I started crying yeah yeah. I just cried (laughs) and I felt a little bit silly but also completely utterly overwhelmed and like that that was the only possible 
appropriate emotional reaction to what was happening. Yeah, I think overwhelmed is a really good way of, of describing it. I'm sure we weren't alone in having that sort of emotional response to it. If people would like to share their emotional responses to arriving back in Twin Peaks, um, then please do let us know via social media or email. <laughs> you can email us too if you prefer. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. So straight away, we're into, seems like it's, we're back in the red room, but this time it's black and chrome, not black and white. Mm. And we're with the giant and Cooper. Listen to the sounds. It's in our house now. It cannot be said aloud now. Are some of the first sentences that the giant says. Although the giant is credited as a bunch of question marks in the credit list at the end of the episode. So is we, the giant a fan name? Is, is I believe he's referred to as the, the giant in um, earlier seasons. Uh, but the straight away, he's saying it cannot be said aloud now means that we're going to be getting information not in a non-oral form. So we've got to watch, pay attention to gestures. That takes, I think, me and a lot of other people back to the beginning of Fire Walk With Me, where Lil mm. enacts clues that are decrypted. So yeah. they, we're speaking in a different language straight away. And it's definitely, obviously, already the sort of show that, like, you can't just have in the background while you're cooking dinner or talking with your friends over the top of... I know that in the past, uh, Twin Peaks viewing parties have been such a big thing, but I feel like with this, I I just wanted to be alone in a room with it and not have any distractions and not have anyone with any possibility of, of disturbing me just drinking the image in. Yeah, yeah, it's a very individualised experience, I think, watching this. Cooper seems to be confused when he first sees this, and so as the we'll just call him the giant for the time being. As Carol Stricken continues to speak, it's in our house now. We remember the number four three zero, and seven is a number that Lynch is known to speak very fondly of. Um, we've been given more information, and that we don't really know what to do with. And I think it's uh, fascinating to see that we've got to stop the standard way of understanding television straight away. Mm. I mean, this is, you know, on billboards, on trams, in you know, all around the world, it's so weird that we've been given this in 2017 to um, something that you cannot just, like you were saying, you can't just mm. pay part attention to it. You have yeah. to really engage with it. How do we kind of feel about the fact of this, you know, we, we, we've all been sitting to wait and find out what actually happened to Coop. How do we feel like that it seems like... He has literally just been trapped in the Black Lodge for the past 25 years. Like, that is, on, on one level, distressing, and on another level, I don't know. Well, I like, think it's essential, because mm. he has to suffer the way Laura suffered, to be able to reach that same sort of state that she does at the end of Fire Walk With Me. She's experienced, her, you know, horrific abuse during her life. He's got to go through his version of, you know, of hell, in a way. So I think this is what... This is one way of looking at it anyways. Um, and so he's going to reach some sort of epiphany. Well, he's, that's the optimistic view, is that he's, this is all like you know, a trial mm. in some sort of sense. Um, and so I think also because, you know, so we've got the number 430, which, you know, we should probably write down somewhere. Um, but is this another Are we just going to end up with a list of just like numbers where we're all just looking at them just going, what does it mean? Does, maybe it ties in with coordinates. You know, you could make there could be all sorts of ways of looking at it. But also, you know, Lynch threw up a blue key distraction during Mulholland Drive. And so I'm like, OK, so everyone who's watching who thinks they're paying attention is going to be looking out for the number 430, which will probably never turn up again. But, you know, he's asking us to look, you know, deep. And so, and then he says Richard and Linda, and now this is really flummoxing because as soon as he said that, said that, I thought of the English folk act Richard and Linda Thompson, and I'm sure probably the only person who did. But, you know, <laughs> Were you though? I'm sure everyone went immediately to Google afterwards, <laughs> yeah. and now there's all probably these conspiracy theories centered around folk acts. Yeah, well, yeah. their album Shoot Out the Lights was possibly a big, you know, a big favorite. It really was released in the early '80s. I'm sure you know Mark Frost at least is familiar with it. Anyway. 
two birds, one stone is the next thing he says. And so we've got these these things, which I think, you know, we should pay extra special attention to because they're right up front, because it's the mm. first thing we're seeing. And I'm not going to, you know, analyse the rest of the, the episode like this. Sorry, the <laughs> part like this, but I think we should look extra carefully at this particular interaction. Right, so from there we move to, uh, to other parts of the world and straight away uh, we, f- we see Dr. Jacoby buying some shovels, which is... Just, a, is, is a, <laughs> this whole scene is... I feel inordinately fond of it purely because it's so mundane mm. and it's so slow and it just puts you into that pace of everyday life and it feels almost like another instance of Lynch being a massive troll yeah. and yeah. just going to... Some sometimes it's going to be like this, guys. Sometimes you're going to see something and you're not going to think it's very important. And it might not be very important. It might only become important in eight parts time. Yeah. And it's slow and it's deliberately slow and it's going to annoy you and I'm annoying you for a yeah, reason. Yeah, and it's the first thing we see in Twin Peaks. Well, we assume it's Twin Peaks. It could be something completely different. We don't yes. really know. But yes, considering there are location yeah, changes. Location changes, so many. Um, yeah, also it's, I thought it was interesting the way the camera was bobbing as we were watching that. It was just mm. sitting there as if we were in a POV of somebody just watching this scene from behind some trees. We actually forgot to mention the gramophone in the previous scene and the weird... Of course, the weird grainy... Weird great noises, mm. which sound like termites barring away or there could be some sort of insects. Oh, I don't know, but I would not be surprised. There's already so much sound going on. Yes, yeah, yeah, which deserves its own episode Sorry, episode of Twin Peaks The Return of Podcast, which we will be looking at further in depth, further down the track with um, guest Eloise Ross. Mm-hmm. So we think, okay, this is Twin Peaks. We're going to go to Twin Peaks. We go to New York City. Yes, we do. Okay, so <gasps> what did you make of this scene involving the unnamed man played by Ben Rosenfeld? looking at the well-lit glass cube. The glass cube. As soon as I saw the glass cube, I actually burst out laughing Mm. because I was like, bless you, Showtime, for showering David Lynch in this ridiculous amount of money and for him to present us with the most lynching thing I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Watch this box. Something might happen. Nothing's happened. But we heard about this guy who once saw a thing... (laughs) <laughs> but we don't know anything about him. Keep watching the box. Yeah. Just watch the box. Anonymous billionaire. Anonymous billionaire, which I'm really hoping we find out who that is. Yeah, and that yeah. was such a perfectly beautiful shot. I mean, the portal out into the cityscape, the skyline, the the perfection of it, the way it was framed immaculately, even the way that there were these, you know, it looked like a back lot or a set, the way that there was these small ladders and things just perfectly arranged. It was, oh, God, it was just beautiful mm. to look at. Um, at first of all, I thought that this unnamed man was acting like some sort of omnipotent, omnipotent god because he seemed to be looking mm. out over the city with his recorder, his cameras. Everything was very clean, clear-cut. He was sitting totally focused. It was a really, really interesting scene. Yeah, but I did also very much enjoy the later revelation that, no, he's just a guy who's been hired to do this and he's not any better informed as to what's going on than anyone else. And I was like, ha, ha, it's a metaphor, he's all of us. Yeah, 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 and we're all looking at a box. I mean, we're looking at the box for 25 years waiting for something to happen. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we start having sex... <laughs> Yeah. Stuff happens. No. Don't no. have sex. First Bad horror idea. movie rule. Yeah. Don't do it. And were you surprised by the, the... I don't know, in a way, like, seeing this sort of figure that turns up in the box later in the episode, almost seemed like a sort of a rote horror thing where you see, like, a shadowy figure and then it bursts through. That seemed, I don't know, like he'd been watching Paranormal Activity or something like that. It, it, it also reminded me a lot of his short films as yeah. well, like that kind of, you know, that creepy thing always kind of hanging out in the corner of your eye. And 
Yeah, I, I, I think throughout, definitely throughout this this part alone, but I imagine throughout the whole season, we're just going to be seeing a lot of standard Lynch preoccupations coming out to the fore and popping out of weird places and all of a sudden gaining prominence. And because, you know, he hasn't been given this kind of freedom and this kind of budget and this kind of scope possibly ever. So I'm really hoping he's going for broke. Did you feel like they, um, both he and Tracy, who brings him a lattes, were doomed by the fact that they were drinking lattes, not black coffee? <laughs> I didn't even think about that, but now it just makes so much sense. Yeah, Why would you put milk in your coffee? Uh, I'm doomed in a Lynchian universe. <laughs> no flat whites are. for me anymore. No. Um, so after we see that scene with Tracy, played by Madeline Zima, who some viewers may remember as the little daughter from The Nanny. Oh, Yes. Meme Twitter got right on that. Yeah, I'm sure it did. And then we leave that, and we go to Twin Peaks, and there is Ben Horn sitting behind his desk. Bless him! Oh, <laughs> I was so delighted. This entire scene just had me in stitches. It was please, wonderful. Yeah. Please give me a sitcom of the Horn brothers just like sniping at each other, which they've clearly been doing every day for the past 25 years. And let Dupo you know, write the theme music. It would be so great. Oh, it'd be so great. I, I still can't get over Jerry just being like, my business is really successful now that it's not illegal. I would really happily just go back and watch that that um, sequence again and again. Yeah, and Ashley Judd. <gasps> Ashley and that was really, Judd. really great to see her. That was really, I, I thoroughly enjoyed seeing her and I'm very much hoping that she will become a... Uh, a fixture. A fixture, very much so. Yeah. Our legally sanctioned business is tripling our revenue. <laughs> says Jerry. Um, of his <laughs> cannabis indigo sativa hybrid. There we go. Also, of course, the Great Northern Hotel is now a spa. Yes, yeah. Ben, ben Horn, he was always on these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mrs. Houseman and her skunk. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, did you pay any um, mind to there being the mention of an anonymous billionaire and then we cut to the wealthy Mrs. Houseman who wants a refund because of a skunk that wasn't even in her room? <laughs> I feel like I'm probably over like over analysing it, but I was like, Houseman, interesting name, mm. um, a reference to a, an anonymous person in the previous scene. Could be something there. I don't know. My, my very obvious string to pull is it would be fabulous if it was Audrey. Yes. But uh, I'm feeling that's too easy for Lynch, you know, mm. although I love the idea of Audrey just setting up this, you know, paranormal, you know, underworld of trying to discover what the hell was ever going on with Twin Peaks and whatever the hell happened to Coop. But no, yeah. that's 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 if I was writing for the actual soap opera that Twin Peaks pretends that it is. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll probably be wrong about that, but I would like that mm. idea yes. very much. Um, I also loved, got to say, I've got to throw a shout out to the, men, to the last sentence in this scene, which is when Ben's pointing at Jerry's um, hat and says, is that mother's hat? Because that was suddenly the most Hitchcockian thing I've seen them to do ever, I think. It was beautiful. Um, and then from there, we go to Lucy in the show's <gasps> office. Lucy. Oh, I, I, we didn't really get into our introductory episode about our favourite characters, I think, because we, we will try to keep things brief and all of that sort of thing, and we, we have a lot more time now to to go over these things. I love Lucy so much. And Good, I'm glad. Just, just seeing her there again, and it was like time had stopped still, and Lucy has always been confused about the questions that people come to her with <laughs> and trying to explain things, and people just not understanding her explanations when to Lucy, everything is very it's very logical, it's very 
straightforward. Why don't people understand? Yeah, and this whole scene struck me as an interesting thing because I was wondering how is technology going to be used in the new season? And still we have a, a businessman turning up at a door with a business card to hand to a, a secretary who's mm. still using... She's only the same microphone, I think, from the yes. 90s. Yes. Um, <laughs> Though it really doesn't surprise me that maybe Twin Peaks hasn't moved along with all of the technological times. You know, they might have a spa, but, you know, maybe the sheriff's office isn't quite as up-to-date as it should be. Well, yes, that will be interesting. We, I'm sure we will see more in the forthcoming episodes about this. Um, and so we're going to mention that there are two tr- Sheriff Trumans. <gasps> two Sheriff Trumans. Which one do you want? I want both. I want them all. I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> this, it seems like a town that needs more than one sheriff sometimes. So I would be glad for particularly fraternal sheriffs. I think that would be a good thing. Mm. And so uh, we get a bit of Twin Peaks levity. Um, then we're thrown back into Lynch's dark world where we're driving with Cooper down a dirt road that's lit by headlights. And then we go into a forest shack. I straight away thought of the room above the convenience store from Firewalk with me when I saw the interior of this place, and I'm sure that Absolutely. wasn't accidental. Mm. And there's some netherwells sitting around making, waiting to make a business deal with Cooper. Did you appreciate these jumps in tone? I, yeah, absolutely. I think it's kind of needed with this type of material. And, and I think Lynch has always been one for strange levity popping up out of things and strange bouts of comedy. I never feel like I'm being, like, jerked around by the kind of Twin Peaks way of balancing, you know, horror with with humour. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think this episode in particular balanced it quite well, particularly because it's it's very clear that this is... The levity is going to be a little bit further between this time yes, around. Yes, yeah, that's how it feels, for sure. And then Bueller, who we saw in the in the teaser trailer, comes out and says, it's a world for truck drivers, which I thought was a great sentence. <laughs> One of my um, favourite lines I've ever heard uttered. <laughs> especially out of, that, some, out of that character, who we'll probably never see again. But I thought Otis was interesting. He's played by Redford Westwood, who's the gentleman with the beard sitting down in the chair. Mm. And so it's such a strange introduction to Cooper. I mean, I suppose we were expecting there to be evil Cooper out there. Doppelcoop. 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 It's better than Booper. Doppelbob. Uh I've, I've, I've had a lot of these floating yeah, around, okay. and I'm not quite sure which one I like best I, yet. I've just been going with EC, Evil Cooper. Evil Cooper. And Good Cooper in the and large. Good then, I don't know. That, Doppel it, Coop is good. I yeah. think I might settle on Doppel Okay, Cooper. yeah, you can run with Doppel Cooper. I'll probably yeah. end up copying you. Um, <laughs> was that, what, I, that was not what I was expecting. I, I mean, straight away, I was like thinking of it in Lynchian terms, going, oh, he's kind of being a bit Nicolas Cage from Wild at Heart with his leather jacket and his weird snake skin printed shirt and his lanky, greasy hair. <laughs> can we talk about how Doppelcoop is obviously like a thoroughthrough from Bob. Like, Bob is just like a massive dirtbag in a fashion disaster. And it's clearly <laughs> just filtered through here. And I'm just, I was sitting there during that whole scene just going like, Bob, Bob is like the guy who just never moved on sartorially from when he was at his peak. He's like that kind of like paunchy guy that you see hanging out at discos who's still dressing like it's 1984. Mm. <laughs> but it's interesting that Lynch and Frost's idea of evil is greasy hair. Greasy hair and a leather jacket yeah. and... But yeah, because Bob was, you know, often had his mouth open or was smiling or grinning mm. or grimacing, but Coop seems to be really kind of closed off. Really closed off, like and, and very... There's a, there's a lot of energy from just the way he stands and the way he holds himself and on a, and clearly he has no compunction with just letting loose violence with yeah. with, with any provocation. And he does it very cleanly and clinically as well. It's very not, cleanly, very no. We're just we're just you know taking people out. 
Yeah, and then the people he takes out in this case are Ray and Daria, who are played by George Griffin and Nicola Liberty. They have um, some sort of st- secret mission that they're going to be going on. I thought that was, this was really, really cool because we were definitely in a very rural location, mm-hmm. um, and this is kind of where a lot of the really great, you know, cryptic Lynch storylines begin in these often quite out of the way, forgotten parts of the United States particularly from people who tend to be, you know, cast aside or outsiders, or at least they're depicted as such to begin with, and then they're connected through their intentions and their actions later on as the story progresses. So these, straight away, you know, I found they were quite inscrutable characters. We got very, very little introduction to them beyond their names. And then, you know, we kind of, obviously, these pieces are being moved into place, and I hope that it's all going to kind of come together later on, because later on in this episode, we end up going to South Dakota, and so they're mm. starting to pull these stories together that seem to be linked by, you know, evil well, sorry, Doppelcooper. Doppelcoop. <laughs> Somehow, which I imagine will come will come to in later episodes. So there's another cut back to New York City with more lattes again, and this time you know we get the there's developments within the glass box. Yes, we 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 get an indication of what is in the glass box, and it is not a good thing. No, it's an extremely violent thing. Yeah, it was pretty horrific. Yeah, um, I definitely got at that moment. I was like, oh, showtime, boobs and blood. Yeah, boobs and blood. Mm. Mm. Because people were looking for this at the beginning when they were like, you know, the, the warnings went up about what what to expect. Some brief nudity and horror themes, I think, mm. were part of them. Um, and then back on, SD. So what did you make of uh, Marjorie Green, the woman with the red hair who's <laughs> notices a bad smell coming from her apartment <gasps> next door? I, I really felt during this whole sequence, I was just sort of like, wow, law, this is really realistic of probably what law enforcement actually does deal with yeah, on a daily yeah. basis of someone who's reported something but doesn't quite know everything and doesn't quite know what she's doing and doesn't know why she's here and, oh, you know, I don't have the keys. Oh, d- d- let's go find someone who has the keys. And, yeah, th- th- that whole sequence was just so perfectly pitched. Yeah, it was masterful because you got mm. the tension of, like, what's going on next door? Then you've got the frustration of mm. having to deal with human fallibility. Then you get to introduce, I think you introduced, like, five characters in that scene. Mm. And it's just, it was seamless. I mean, it was kind of stupid, mm. but it was, it was fantastic as well. I think it is that kind of lynching, that kind of lynch farce that he likes to do where... You know, he he, introdu- he introduces you to these really ridiculous people that he's not necessarily making fun of, no. but he's definitely putting them into a position where they become the biggest hindrance to the people around them. Yeah, this is where I started reminding me a little of Fargo, mm. in that we've got this non-patronising look at people, you know, who live in the in the Dakotas, who um get wound up in crime, and then they and it's that other Lynch thing and particularly Twin Peaks thing of small towns and small town politics and small town relations and all of the secrets that people could be hiding from each other behind closed apartment doors. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting sensually as well that we get a smell here, we get a smell mm. um, later on as well as being sort of a premonition as to as to mm. something that's happening. So, again, we're going back to that very first scene where we're not meant to be just paying attention to what we hear. or what. Yeah. what and it's great that they're pulling on that kind of haptic pull of... We're, we're, we're putting you in a situation where we're just telling you orally and showing you visually what an olfactory sense could be, but we're doing it in such a way that you can feel your body react to it when you're faced with it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was interesting because... Um, so when they go into the room and they find Ruth Davenport's body... Well, sorry, Ruth Davenport's head and mm. a, man, a mysterious man's body nah. uh, underneath it, uh, this, like, it feels like this has still got this visceral punch. 
that you mm. often don't get. I mean, there's plenty of grisly TV shows with horrible things that happen, but mm. the way this is revealed, the, the dark you know tones that are underneath in the soundtrack mm. as well. I think that's the thing that kind of kicks everything up a notch, that you, you already know as a viewer that this isn't just a regular well, regular, inverted commas, homicide and murder, and this isn't just going to be a regular, we've got to find out who committed the murder. There's so much else going on underneath the surface, and it's that it's that thing of setting up a mystery where, because we're trained by these, you know, procedural programs to want to know who did it and why they did it. And you just know with Lynch, he's setting it up, and you're like... There, there is no guarantee that we're ever going to find out yeah. what's going to be going on here. And you automatically know there's a good, decent, com, you know, common folk in a non-patronising way um, that is, they're experiencing this horror as well, which kind of amplifies it. Um, we also got briefly introduced to Hank Fillmore, who's that weird guy outside on the phone who yes. thinks his friend Harvey has called the police on him. I'll, I'll, I'll be surprised if we don't see him again at some point. There seems to be a lot of names, Harvey and Chet, these kind of mm. stories got set up that may or may not come back. Mm. Yeah, so this is so now we kind of get a, we get an introduction, but it's weird that it's not happening in Twin Peaks. I mean, it'd be kind of weird, I suppose, if there was another murder in the same town. But um, I suppose it's an indication that like the world of Twin Peaks was never just confined to Twin Peaks, and that the evil that was happening in Twin Peaks was never going to be able to be just contained to the town. And like we've had twenty five years, there's been twenty five years for the the the, the evil of Bob and Doppelcoop to spread you know, like like a disease. You you never know how far they might have gotten in this time. Mm. It's a long time. Yeah. And it's interesting we wind up in the Badlands of South Dakota. Uh, and then we finally come to get to the log lady. And if I would imagine there'll be very few Red Peaks fans who didn't, like, well up. Oh, that was just... Her whole conversa- a telephone conversation with Hawk was just one of the most beautifully shot and just really devastating in a way. And when she appeared, it was just this this beautiful shock it was this wonderful feeling of joy at seeing her but also this overwhelming sadness of here's this really iconic character and possibly one of the show's most beloved characters and this might be her end point you know we 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 don't really know how much lynch got to capture of her and this might be the first and last time that we get to see her certainly seems like that when mm. they sign off, um, Hawk and uh, Log Lady. Yes. And they say goodnight to each other. Also, just as an aside, I'm very pleased to see Deputy Chief Hawk. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much. You know, although at this point in time, why is Hawk not sheriff? <laughs> There's two Sheriff Trumans. Nepotism. Yeah, nepotism is so true. Nepotism. Oh, that's the darker understory. Promote Hawk. That is just going to be my, my rallying cry Hashtag, through yeah. the entire season. <laughs> Promote Hawk. <laughs> Hawk should be running shit. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so Log Lady tells him, look into your heritage, which sounds like the sort of thing that, uh, you know, it's the, the, the phrasing of that sentence I thought was a bit... It's a, oh, it's a very patronising old white person, isn't it? <laughs> I didn't want to say that, but it, it did seem a little yeah. that way. Ugh. But maybe that's the only way that Log Lady knows how to speak to, to Hawk, or the only way to translate it. Mm. Given that, uh, you know... Maybe hun- the log is racist. Ooh. Oh. 
that's a whole can of worms. That's a whole can of worms. Yeah. Yes. We'll, we'll get to this because, yeah, I've, I've said this to Andy off air, but yes, race is the one thing that I am not confident at all that Lynch can deal with, with sensitivity or... Uh, wokeness. Um, w- yes, wokeness. I don't think we're going to be getting any, a lot of wokeness from Lynch. Yeah. So this will be something that we will circle back to, I'm sure, several times. Yes, yeah, so people who know more, know more about it than, than we do. Uh, an investigation is triggered back in Twin Peaks. Look into the past of Dale Cooper. Go and get some files. Let's, there's something missing. Get some files, Andy. <laughs> yeah. I was so pleased to see Andy back as well. Yeah. They're just, him and Lucy together, just the interplay is just gorgeous. Right. And it's, it's lovely mm. to know that it's just continued on beautifully for like the past past 25 years. Yeah. I, I quite lost it at Andy's. He was born on the same day as Marlon Brando. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Of course he was, because let's not forget One-Eyed Jacks. Let's never forget One-Eyed Jacks. Never forget One-Eyed Jacks. Um, Then we're back um, to... uh to in, in Buckhorn, South Dakota, as they decide to, as the police investigate, continue their investigation into the death of Ruth Davenport, and Matthew Lilliard turns up. Uh, he's surprise. <laughs> was I was surprise. very surprised. Um, yeah, so we got a definite local hit, says um, the assistant uh, to uh, de- to um, the policeman Dave. So yes, Matthew Lillard, um, great great face. Amazing face. Yeah, I was very surprised when he popped up here and I must admit I was a little bit trepidatious because of course, I think like most people of my generation, you either know Matthew Lillard from Scream or Scooby-Doo. I think that Lynch, Lynch tends to be pretty good at figuring out which actors are gonna work into his groove. And I must admit by the end of the part, I was sitting there just going like, right, yeah. Lillard. I'd, 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 I reckon you're going to be all right. Yeah, I reckon totally you might have just proved yourself here. Yeah, because when they go to arrest him, it, his face, the way that transforms from being, hey, like super jovial, super small town, like he could have fitted in Twin Peaks beautifully, mm. then the devastation. He expresses that so beautifully, um, particularly uh, against the weirdness of his wife, of Phyllis, mm. who's just worried. Phyllis, who's just worried about dinner, goddammit. Yeah, we've got guests. Yeah. yeah. Mm. This George, who's going to be his saviour, the lawyer. Mm. Uh, as well. Then he gets investigated. He says he, ba- he vaguely knows Ruth. He's put in the cell. He asks again to talk to George. And then they go back to the house to to search. And this is the closing scene of, the fir- mm. of part one. With- that's that whole thing of we've got two minutes to go. Escalate. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, they go and look in the, in the car and they find a piece of flesh and skin underneath Underneath an esky. Underneath a, a fishing tackle. Oh, fishing tackle. My tackle box. Go. My which remi- tackle. <laughs> which reminded me mm. of, my, of the tackle box that belonged to Pete Martell yes. in the first two seasons. Mm. The veil. TV to watch the finale of a show called Twin Peaks. It's Twin Peaks and it's very end. I panic and change the subject to the Twin Peaks reboot till she gets bored. I mean, she totally gave up on Twin Peaks. It's too David Lynch. Brilliant. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea what's going on. But we can't talk about uh, this final scene without the line, my flashlight's broke. Mm. <laughs> 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 this is my vote for the my that's Lynchian moment because 
<laughs> there's something important here and you know it's important because there's going to be a strobing light there's going to be a strobing light flickering and you're not going to be able to function. focus on it that well and you're going to be seeing there going what is that yeah we can see the white and the dark mm-hmm. we can see like a disembodied piece of flesh a la early scene of blue velvet mm. um, what a it's rewarding it's all circling part. it's all coming back yeah so I can imagine also straight off the bat that I think a lot of people would be incredibly annoyed oh my god yes Oh, this is yeah. very Lynch. It's not very Twin Peaks. Absolutely. Um, it's it, it. Look, it's. I still feel it's Twin Peaks, but it's. It's it's a definite evolution. It's definitely a show that understands. There's been twenty five years of event television. Since we last left it, and it's going to take what it wants from that, and then it's also going to show all those shows that yeah, we we did it first. And we can do it better. And slower. And slower. Yeah. Um, I did feel like at the end of every single scene, I was like, there are literally over a hundred different options that Lynch has at the end of every scene. There's mm-hmm. so many characters we can go to, we can return to, we can introduce. There's this astonishing amount of freedom. Like, that's the one thing I, t- I took away from this. And also darkness and also death. I mean, it was so strange seeing mm-hmm. Catherine Coulson, particularly with her hands shaking, mm-hmm. the phone, the tubes in her nose, the... His, the still slightly stilted speech it was just so real and so powerful yeah it was it was a really really yeah um, kind of yeah pretty overwhelming um, reintroduction yeah. back to the world I think it just it just laid out for you that this is what this show was always about it was always about death it was always about grief it was always about trying to struggle through a life where you had no idea whether the rug was going to be pulled out from under you at any time and that there was always something out there that wanted you to fall that mm. wanted you to fail so it could devour you yeah yeah as well as just reveling in mysteries mm. and how beautifully beautiful they are to like to occupy the mind mm. um did you have any favorite lynchian moments from- uh, <laughs> i was pretty big on beulah really and, yeah. and and her fabulous line of um <laughs> It's a world of truck drivers just spoken through a mouth that was barely, barely opening, just barely, no, we're just saying it through our teeth. Yeah. And it's that wonderful non-sequitur line that often Lynch loves to give to older women mm. and that sort of thing. I, yes. I very much enjoyed that. I also, I, I, and I think this keys more possibly into our section on looking at the sound design of the show, but it's also incredibly lynch is the the overwhelming sound of the trees in in this like the opening shot is just that shot over the top of the forest and you can hear this whooshing sound and it ends up folding into sequences with the falls and also with the cityscape of new york city the 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 noise of the cities and the falls and the trees end up all becoming almost one like there was definitely a point towards the end where the sound started before the image and I was trying to make out what it was and I thought it was falls but it turned out it was the trees Mm. and so it's that whole thing of the world being so overwhelmingly filled with sensation and it's all ultimately the same yes yeah absolutely and it's particularly interesting because I was expecting a lot of Battle of Menti I was like, well, you know, he's he's you know, he's he's signed on. His name's being credited as as you know a composer and arranger, 
and we barely get any of him. We get him mm. in the opening se- the scenes. Oh, sorry, the opening credit sequence, which is so much shorter. If you think how long the opening mm. credit sequence was for the season one and two, that was basically all the time you needed for your heart rate to slow, for you to be reintroduced back to the world, to be opened up, more susceptible. But this time we kind of get a few key scenes, mm. and then we're in. And over the closing credits, we got this tuned hum, this yes. sort of tuned industrial noise that Lynch seems to love, um, mm. just sitting there, just quietly that in the background. That thing that just makes you like it, like sits between your shoulders, and you sit there unnerved. Yeah. And we don't have a shot of Laura over the closing credits. We, no. We, no, we, might, we get her at the beginning, but in the closing credits we get the shot of the gramophone, mm. the black and, well, the sort of chrome shot of the gramophone. So even the things that usually bring us joy, like, you know, there's always music in the air or mm. that sort of thing that's been washed out and been kind of replaced. Or yeah. Things are definitely more grim now. Mm. Yep. Um, one of, another That's Lynchian moment for me was um, every time we saw a computer screen. <laughs> It looked like it was designed by a man who was pretty unfamiliar with computer screens and liked them just to show really basic images. Absolutely. So, you were like, no one has updated since the late 90s. <laughs> and so like the, so when, when uh, the assistant at the police station, who is dressed like a nurse or mm. health professional for some reason in a white lab coat, I'm, I guess you know that's also something to do with fingerprints, mm. goes through the database and the, the fingerprints float across the screen to sit in a pinky ring finger, middle finger sort of thing. It was just so simplified and kind of adorable in this hilarious granddad sort of way. I guess also uh, colour. Were there any moments of colour that stood out for you? I did notice, and I don't know whether it's because obviously this is this is shot on digital cameras. Everything seemed a lot flatter. Mm. Everything was flatter. There weren't quite as many really noticeable moments of colour, except perhaps with the scene with the lady and her dog and the mysterious smell coming from her oh, yes, yeah, apartment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but other than that, I don't... Nothing really flashed out mm-hmm. and stood out for me in terms of that. So maybe that's also a deliberate choice of this... This is a different yeah. world than the one yeah. that we experienced. The original series of Twin Peaks was so reliant on daily soap operas, which are really not much of a thing anymore. So we do, you know, there will obviously be elements of that and throwbacks to, say, like 1950s Hollywood melodrama, but I'm definitely feeling that that kind of bright 1980s, gorgeous, eye-popping, hazy camera soap opera style is maybe less relevant now mm. yeah part of the appeal was to you know look at this new 16-9 ratio that he's using and the HD reintroduction back to this world just how more vibrant and how much real it's going to be but then it's also that's that's the the trade-off do you want it to be real do you want mm. it to be a, a place of dreaming or do you want you know to try and like move there and live there notable throwbacks there, I guess there were quite a few of those. There was a bonsai in the box room. Did everyone else no, see that? I did not spot that. Aye. Oh, yeah. Okay, now I think I'm remembering it's on the, on the table next to the... Next to the sofa. Yeah, next yeah. to the sofa. Yeah. Wow, okay. Thanks <laughs> and, of course, Mexican chihuahua. Mexican chihuahua? Yes, Mexican <laughs> chihuahua. I'm hoping there will be several more because I do enjoy my dog spotting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that brings us to the end of uh, um, wrap up a bit of part one. Well, of course, we will be revisiting sequences from this in later episodes. Absolutely. I, for one, am hoping that uh, the American woman David Lynch remix, What a World We Live In, ends up getting sampled again. Oh, I think it will. There's going to be a release they announced today of oh my God, yes. <laughs> the soundtrack to Until Beats the Return. And if that doesn't come on great big fat 180 gram vinyl, I'll be... Very disappointed, yeah. Uh, To take us out, here is Sherilyn Fenn talking about her experience making the first two seasons of Twin Peaks and Twin Peaks The Return.
Um, so I understand that you and everybody associated with the new season of Twin Peaks um, has been forced to sign non-disclosure agreements, but I was wondering, what can you tell us about the new um, show? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I can tell you that I, I, I just feel that David, as much as a wonderful filmmaker as he's always been, he as he has gotten older and, and you know, ripened and, you know, deepened and, and opened his heart even more, I feel that he has more to give um, from that all-important, you know, perspective, which is kind of the thing that we look through that we love so much about Twin Peaks is through, you know, David Lynch's and, and Mark Frost's eyes of, you know, what this is. And I feel that um, years having passed and never having, you know, that I know of, <laughs> you know, planned to do it again or go back into it, um, that they had to have some very um, deep felt reasons to kind of explore it again and, uh, and, 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 and have some things to say that they wanted to say. Um, so I'm always open for being around great artists that way. And I think David is one of the best that we have. Was it easy to become Audrey again? Absolutely. The way that I work, the way that I was taught is about using, you know, the deepest parts of yourself. So to, to go back to something that um, also when people love something and, and um it stands the test of time. I think it, 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 at least for me, it made me, it made me be even more open to who is she now and what's disappointing or exciting about her life now or, you know, just go deeper into that human experience. Right. Um, were you surprised when you saw the script for Twin Peaks The Return? Um, well, none of, most of us didn't get to see entire scripts, so what we got to see was our scenes. Right. So most of us don't have any idea what's going to happen. Um, and kind of one of the many amazing things that I've experienced with David is his ability to be open to change in the moment, whether it be to, like, the, the scene where Audrey dances. He wrote that the morning that we shot it. I mean, he, you know, so there's something about he, he's not attached to this was written a certain way or needs to be done a certain way like how they discovered Bob the Killer and stuff like that. I think that especially as, this is just my personal opinion, as he's gotten even older, he trusts his intuition and his instincts even more. And right. this story is coming out of something that is almost spiritual. It didn't, you have to say this here, this way, that, that's not David. In interviews before, you've mentioned that you had quite a bit of input into the character of Audrey. Like you just said, you know, he's working with what he sees there at the time and what triggers his inspiration. Um, did you have a lot of input this time around? Yes, I did have some input that influenced what ultimately ended up being shot. 
I can right. say so happily. Yeah. This influence was different than the first time around because the first time around was just I would say things and then sometimes they would end up in the script. So he was basing things on just kind of who the person that he saw me to be, you know what I mean? How, you know, everybody has some personal connection with something. So he saw me as, you know, some kind of a person and he would write things and I would say things and they would literally end up in the script or my clothes and stuff like that. I wasn't considered a very important character, so I got to wear a bunch of my own clothes and stuff and then she became more important, which is kind of cool how it all kind of fell into place. (laughs) Are you surprised by the fandom and the way that it's just continued to grow over the years? A thousand percent. I really never would have. It's crazy. It's Uh, cool. It makes me wonder, like, what is that about? Is this where we so starved as a nation and and, and, and a world for something that was, you know, giving something real that just brought us all together, you know, back when it came out? Because, you know, it's it's so different now. It's it's astonishing to me. But David Lynch is that way. I mean, he's... um, True work is like that. It, it does keep growing. It doesn't. It doesn't just die and wither away, does it? It still has a meaning, well, well, and, and and I love that. Just like accidents happen, or people get cast, and all of a sudden, you know, the whole thing changes. And and he just never had the ego to be like, no, he would just go with it. Mm. Oh, isn't that beautiful? You know. <laughs> Um, on Twitter, I noticed you had expressed some tensions around the production of The Return. Is there anything you, you can say about those? I think it might have been some frustration at having to keep quiet or there, there was some sort of problem. Yeah, they always... But that, that's like my, my, my issue since I'm a child. I'm not supposed to say what I want to say that I'm seeing. Um, <laughs> um, no, I think it's like... I think it's like any good, true family, you're going to have these things that you go through sometimes and, you know, and they, and, and especially a few months ago, you know, I wanted to share and I, and, um, and I guess really honestly just worried about, you know, getting older and being an actress. How am I going to support my family and my life? And I'm not allowed to say anything. And, you know, and sometimes I would be frustrated because I felt like I have to, I have to, you know, I have a whole life, you know, that has nothing to do with Twin Peaks. And I would never say anything that would make anything, not that I know anything. See, I don't even know anything that I could say. Like, I don't know any spoilers. So, <laughs> you know, when it, I felt like it was just lockdown where I was being constantly watched, what I tweeted, what I said, what I, and I just felt, yes, I felt frustrated by it. I said, you know, this is silly. It's a TV show, and I'm not saying anything, but I also have to survive. Huh? How about mm. that? <laughs> um, are there many other Twin Peaks uh, actors that you worked with with whom you've maintained friendships outside of the show? 
ones. Um, no, I mean, it's like Ray Wise, Cheryl Lee, I adore, um, Dana, um, you know, Machen. Um, yeah, I mean, a few of us, yes, have definitely stayed in touch, in and out of touch, and and then gone into our complicated, crazy, messy lives like the rest of the world, you know what I mean? Trying to figure out what's going on here, like everyone mm. else. <laughs> yeah. Since Twin Peaks, you've managed to work on shows like Gilmore Girls and Ray Donovan and Rude Awakening. Um, do you think that they're, they're going to help you better realize Audrey this new season? Yeah, definitely <laughs> helps me to be able to be, be, yeah, it's a lot to embody when there's all these ideas. And But if you think about someone that you've known and then some, like, really when they were maybe 20 or 23 and then you met them up with them 26 years later. That's so much time. It's like, you know, I just want everybody to just, like, climb to the top. You've been wanting this and saying you wanted it. Just climb to the top of the, of this really amazingly high slide that David and Mark put together and just freaking let go and go down this ride because I think it's going to be really crazy and fun and scary and wonderful and, you know, beautiful and a lot of different things. Cause, but it's many years later, so we have to let go of all of our ideas. Is, you know, I mm-hmm. think, anyway. Finally, I've mentioned this on Twitter also that you've been to Melbourne before, but you're coming to the Oz Comic Con Melbourne in July 1st and 2nd. Is there anything that you want to do, or is there any sort of feelings that you have around your visit? I've not, I only have been there once in my entire life for uh, Two Moon Junction to promote that 28 years ago or something like that. I'm just happy to connect with people. It's, mm-hmm. it's a beautiful thing. We see that we're all the same no matter where we are. We're all in different places. It seems like we're all separate and this and that. And then we, we can come and, and connect and say hello and, I don't know, hopefully share some love and be like, gosh, what a, what a crazy world this is, huh? <laughs> it'll be okay, you know? Like, it'll yeah. be okay, I swear, you know? I can't believe it's been that many years since I've been there. And, mm. um, and what initially started as just something that I needed to do to help to support myself, like struggling older actress um, a few years ago by starting to do conventions ended up being something really lovely. It's a big surprise, a big surprise for me to meet people Fantastic. and have them. It's been very, very wonderful. That's, that's brilliant. Um, I would love to take you to the world's best French onion soup restaurant while you're here if we, if we have time. Oh, my gosh. You, you must have read something. You know I that's did. my favorite. I love yeah, French I onion soup. I have to. <laughs> well, you have to set that up. You have to hook me up. I would love to do that. That would be a thrill. <laughs> Well, I will um, be there. You, I'll be there, like for a few days. I would love to. It's it's going to be the perfect weather for it too. Nice and cool. Nice and cold. Thank you very much for making it to the end of uh, episode two. Two. It's definitely two. You can find us um, on Twitter at TP Season 3. We're also on Facebook at TP Season 3. Uh, or you can email us at uh, TP Season 3 Podcast at gmail.com.
Oh, oh, oh.